Well, our series is called Let's Go Change the World, and I was inspired by a story I heard this week um, about Reba McIntyre, who heard when she was back in her home state, I think of Oklahoma, about a dying small town that had a big vision to revitalize the life in that small town. So when Reba heard about their vision, she decided to open up a restaurant called Reba's Place in this small town to bring new life, and it actually worked. The restaurant opened earlier this year, and here's what caught my eye about the story. So far, half a million people have come to this restaurant in this small town to Reba's Place, and I thought, that's pretty cool. She had a dream, a vision to help this dying small town be revitalized, and she reached half a million people already just by opening a restaurant. Check out an interview with her right here. Folks who are watching this, you've heard about how Reba McIntyre's help save her tiny town. What do you want them to take away from this story? Well, I want them to take away that Reba was a small part of a great story, a successful story, one that's still growing, one that's still thriving, and one that's talked about all over the state of Oklahoma. I love her heart, and I love how that parallels our heart for our city and for our world. She was, as she said, a small part of a big story that's still working, bringing life to a small town. Hey, you and I, we are a small part of the biggest story that's happening on, on earth and in heaven right now. We're bringing life to the world through Jesus Christ. You get to be a part of that. She brought life to a small town by giving comfort food. Not bad. We, we have the bread of life. We have the living water. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, a name bigger than Reba. In fact, this is the name that is above every name. And when this name began to show up at city after city after city in the book of Acts, new life came to those towns. We're going to see today the church at its best, how the church grew one city at a time as leaders showed up, told people the good news of Jesus, and those towns came to life. And we're going to see that it can happen in our town through us as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we are a small part of the biggest story happening on earth and in heaven right now. You are the name that is above every name. And when the name of Jesus is declared, new life is found. We pray that you would show us how this early church took over the entire mighty Roman Empire. How they went around courageously declaring the gospel. How they worked together <clears throat> humbly. And we pray, Lord, that you would show us how we can follow in their footsteps. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you, by your Spirit, would fill us with this same pioneering spirit to go and share the gospel with everyone. We pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in Acts 15, verse 22. The sermon is called, The Second Missionary Journey Begins. Now, the second missionary journey almost didn't begin. Were you here last week? Did you catch the sermon online? The Jerusalem Council, they had to duke some things out. Doctrinally, the gospel is on trial. If that didn't go well, there wouldn't be no second missionary journey. We're still in the preparation phase here. We're seeing how the church got the mission going. Particularly this morning, there will be a strong emphasis on godly spiritual leadership. This might be one of the most important sermons you hear all year. Why? Because the church today is in a leadership crisis. We'll see how God prepared and used 
men like Peter, James, Paul, Mark, Barnabas, Timothy, Silas, to impact the world. We will observe fundamental principles of spiritual leadership and mentoring that are essential to gospel success. So here we are in Acts 15, verse 22. Here's what it says. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. But the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you, with, unsettling, with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, fare well. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. Having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. The first thing you can write down is this. The church must guard the gospel. The church must guard the gospel. If we are going to go and impact our city and our world, we must also guard the gospel. That is a summary of what is happening right here. The Jerusalem Council met because some Jewish former Pharisees went out to the Gentiles, which is the non-Jewish people, and said, you're not saved yet, not until you follow the law of Moses and get circumcised and become a Jewish person. We need the good Old Testament, then you're a Christian. Well, no, it's not the way it works. They were adding to the gospel. So the Jerusalem Council met, and they didn't determine, by their opinion, they determined by God's activity that these people were wrong. The Gentiles were saved freely by the free grace of God. Therefore, we're not going to need to make them Jewish to make them Christian. That's what this letter does. So we must guard the gospel. Paul here, his story as he emerges, is now going to start leading the way in the book of Acts. The two basic divisions in the book of Acts is up to this point, Peter has taken center stage. From this chapter on, Peter's gone, Barnabas is gone. The Apostle Paul now becomes the central figure for the expansion of the gospel. Paul was saved in 33 AD. He did some early ministry up in the north. First missionary journey happened 46, 47 AD. The Jerusalem Council was about 48 AD. And now from 49 to 52 A.D. is going to be the second missionary journey. <clears throat> this is where we are contextually. As the camera shifts here, Paul has been a Christian for about 15 years. He's been in ministry for about 15 years. 
It's been 15 years since Jesus died on the cross. The church is still so, so young. Galatians was written, maybe one of the Thessalonians. Very few things have been written down. Um, but we find out that in the Galatian churches, some were really, uh, some people were really divisive false teachers building their own following, trying to tell people, look, look, yeah, 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 Paul came to town. You need me to help you follow all the Old Testament ceremonies, okay? So he got you started. Now let's get you following the full Bible. That was a mistake. So they defended the gospel and said it is clearly by the grace of God that we are saved. Now this is important that they're doing this work. They are defending the gospel city to city to city. They're showing up and saying, those guys were wrong. Don't listen to them anymore. Some of them were misguided, but some of them were false teachers who were trying to gain a following for themselves. They were defending the gospel to every city. False teachers in the New Testament are called ravenous wolves. They will devour the flock to gain glory for themselves. Here's a picture of a wolf. Check it out. Now, if one of those came in the room right now, I don't think we would be like, oh, it's so cute. Does anybody have a puppy treat? Sit. We would be freaking out if there was a wolf in the church. But do they come looking like wolves? What do they come looking like? Yeah. Therefore, guarding the gospel means discerning between the person who really seems to kind of know what he's talking about, but whoa, there was something there where there's just a twist of the truth. Or she seems really godly and nice and wants to hang around with you. Whoa, wait a minute, what's that book she's reading? That, that's pretty far out there. So we have to watch out, friends, we have to watch out for wolves in the church. That's what's happening here. They're rebuking false teachers. Write this down. The leaders encouraged the Gentiles and rebuked the troublemakers. This is what this letter did. They sent the letter on behalf of the apostles in Jerusalem. And if you look at the letter, it says in verse 24, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us. Oh yeah, we came from James. James is my buddy. I know James. Yeah. So you need to become Jewish. Uh, whoa gone out from us, troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. So this was corrective. And then it says, it seems good to us having come to one accord to send these men with you who've risked their lives. And then it says, if you look back a little bit, they called them brothers, right? The brothers, verse 23, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch. They're not saying, you know what, we talked it over, and we've decided to tell you, you are Christians. That's not what happened. They were like, from the beginning, we knew this was true. We had to duke it out with some people in town. But hey, you're, you're brothers. You're our family in Christ. You are saved. That's not up for debate. So the letter encouraged the Gentiles and rebuked the troublemakers. We have to defend a simple gospel and this relieved the minds of those who were told they weren't saved. So we have to guard the truth of the gospel. And the gospel can be polluted through addition or subtraction. You could start taking things away. Well, I don't know. I mean, some of the things Paul wrote, I'm not so sure about. Subtraction! Well, yeah, that's all true, but the Jehovah's Witnesses came up to me in the Starbucks once. There were, there were, there were three of them. And I was studying my Bible, and they said, is the Bible the only book you use to learn the will of God? 
what were they about to do? They were about to try and add to my knowledge of the Bible. And I said, well, let's talk, because you interrupted a pastor while he was preparing a sermon. <laughs> and so the four of us sat down, and there was a rumble in the Starbucks, because they were trying to add to the gospel. So we have to defend the gospel. We had somebody in our church many years ago <coughs> who got really excited about this new book that came out. It was written by Billy Graham's grandson. <gasps> Sounds legit. Started handing it out, but there was some fishy teaching in this book. Basically, he was arguing that, you know, you don't do anything to get saved, and therefore you don't have to do anything to get sanctified. You just wait, and God's going to transform you in time. You don't need to be in a small group. You really don't need to read your Bible. You the like cream rising to the top, God's going to change you. Well, guess what? That's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. Do your best to present yourself a workman. Run the race that is set before you. To remove the effort, the will, the exertion is unbiblical. So we went up to this guy and said, hey, you need to stop handing those books out. Everyone should read this book. No, no, no. Stop handing that book out. It's full of false teaching. Who? What? Ended up leaving the church over that. Uh, and Billy Graham's grandson ended up getting very sternly rebuked from people who told him, you're teaching false things, got removed from the Gospel Coalition. His marriage fell apart. Uh, I think both of them uh, were unfaithful to each other. And it became very clear that when you have a a false belief in your heart and you won't let people correct you on it, it leads you to destruction. It leads you to destruction. So we have to defend the gospel. We have to make sure no one is adding to or subtracting from the full counsel of God. Jot this down. The leaders demonstrated godly spiritual leadership. So the church is guarding the gospel. Leaders are encouraging the Gentiles, rebuking the troublemakers. Leaders demonstrated godly spiritual leadership. I know that it says here... I love this, um, that they sent out Barnabas, Paul, Judas called Barsabbas, Silas, and we'll send these four guys out. They're delegating. Peter's not like, I better go. They're delegating. They're, they're sharing this decision. They took turns in the Jerusalem council. They, were, they deferred to each other. And it says in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us. This is spirit-led, godly leadership. The leaders demonstrated godly spiritual leadership. The apostles, the elders, the church coming together, the Holy Spirit flowing through that. This is a church win! Wow! It could have split the church straight down the middle and caused thousands of years of hostility between those who say, you gotta follow the Old Testament too, and those who were like, no you don't! Bam! It could have been terrible. But the Spirit was working through these leaders, and they figured it out. We see here that it's the Holy Spirit working through godly spiritual leaders. So in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, we'll put it up on the screen, it says this, And he gave, that's Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He did it. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So godly leaders are God-given, and we see them here at their best. They were decisive, they were spirit-led, courageous, united, devoted to the word of God, and they sealed the bond between Jew and Gentile so that the mission could continue on. Wow, this is so cool. Do you remember when the apostles before Jesus died were selfish cowards who were arguing about which one of them was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? 
And then when soldiers showed up, they all ran away. And then a little servant girl said to Peter, you're one of them. And Peter screamed at the top of his lungs, I never knew him. What losers. Right? These are the guys who have the keys to the kingdom? Look what God did. Look what God did in their hearts. Now they're working together for the good of the gospel. God is able to develop humble spiritual leaders over time. This is a win. Write this down. They called for holy, healthy, and humble fellowship. They called for holy, healthy, humble fellowship. Uh, Holy, they wanted them to be right with God. Healthy, they wanted them to stay together in community. Humble, they wanted them to follow this letter, which had the authority of the apostles. So look at what it says here. It says, good to the Holy Spirit, so this is divine. Their response to this letter would demonstrate holiness to the Lord. That you abstain, verse 29, from what has been sacrificed to idols. Well, that's a gray area in Scripture. And Paul in 1 Corinthians would say there would be some times where it wasn't that big of a deal. Given the crisis in the church right here and the dispute in the region, in order to, to promote, the, in the best way, table fellowship between Jew and Gentile, and it's the first time they've been doing this in forever, they just said, hey, no food sacrifice to idols. And from blood, Old Testament uh, said Jews could not drink the blood. And from what has been strangled, that was another restriction, and from sexual immorality. That's just the broadest way to say sexual immorality. Maybe it was tied to temple sexual immorality. Often there were prostitutes in the temple. Maybe it was just in general saying the grace of God does not permit you to continue in sinful ways of life. So this is a big one. All of this would promote Jew and Gentile sitting at the same table, going to the same church, living the same life together. So these are four, four things they commend to them. And it would promote holiness, a right relationship with God, healthy community, and humble fellowship. We too must demonstrate holiness in community to fear God, to turn from evil. Healthy relationships, to limit our freedom if it would harm another person's conscience or put them in a path to sin. We also must be humble when someone comes to us as the apostles are coming to these churches and says, hey, look, this is what God's word says. Are you going to follow it? We have to humble ourselves and say, yes, yes, we will follow the word. This is a corrective effort, and they needed to follow it. So this could have taken years to sort out, stalled all missionary efforts, and look at the church go. Lockstep, there they go. Wow, this is quite a God story. Number one, the church must guard the gospel. Number two, write this down. God uses both strong and gentle leaders to expand and purify the church. God uses both strong and gentle leaders to expand and purify the church. Verse 36 says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city, where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That's the first missionary journey. They went out, visited. Now he wants to go back. Second missionary journey is coming. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We learn from these stories, these testimonies, a lot about how God uses spiritual leaders. What happened here? Well, Paul and Barnabas were both godly men. They would both succeed in raising up protégés who would do great things for the kingdom of God. But they were very different in temperament and personality. The church needs both. God used both. Paul is more of a hyper-extra-truth person. Barnabas is a hyper-extra-grace person. And there was a sharp disagreement. Don't know what that sounded like. But it wasn't cordial. And just put yourself in their shoes. Paul's like, let's go back. Wait a minute, they almost tried to kill us. In fact, they probably did kill you. They stoned you to death. We're going back. We're going to check on those churches. We're going to see how they're doing. And then we're going to go farther. We're going to bring the gospel farther. And Barnabas is like, oh boy, that's great. I'm going to get my cousin John Mark. And Paul's like, what? What? Yeah. We're going to bring him. He's going to get it right this time. Uh, that coward? He turned back. He left us. He chickened out. He defected. Absolutely not. Well, I mean, we got to give him another chance. I mean, you know, how's he going to learn? He's not going to learn by getting us killed. All right? That's just what we need. Is he gets captured and tells wherever all the Christians are and squeals, you know. That's, no. That's the disagreement. So we have two different personality types here. And they came to a sharp, painful parting. It's always sad when a band that you like breaks up. Am I right? A duo. I've got a picture here of some famous duos that broke up or are taking a break right now. Remember Simon and Garfunkel? Broke up. Sonny and Cher. Nope. What is that? Florida Georgia Line. Uh-uh. Brooks and Dunn. Any country fans? Sad when they're not touring anymore. It was kind of like that here. Barnabas and Paul had been together for like a decade. And now, crack. Ouch. Hurts. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm more of a truth person. Are you more of a truth person or are you more of a grace person? Are you more like Paul or are you a little more like Barnabas? The good news is God used both of these men, both of these personality types to build the church. You can jot this down. Paul demonstrates strong spiritual leadership and direct accountability. Strong spiritual leadership and direct accountability. He says here, he thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. Verse 38. No, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's, <clears throat> he's going to turn back again, or he's going to get himself hurt, or he's going to get somebody else hurt. No. Now we have to recognize that even if you're not a truth person, you have to acknowledge that God used Paul mightily for the kingdom. Paul would write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And about 30% of the total word count of the entire New Testament. How did his rise happen? Well, he was saved and miraculously saw the light. Jesus said, why are you kicking against the goads? Then, you know, it was Barnabas who came along 
and actually brought Paul to the apostles to vouch for him. So from the beginning, Paul, this truth guy, really needed Barnabas to be the one to go ahead of him. It had to be pretty humbling, but (laughs) considering the fact that Paul had killed Christians, he needed someone to advocate for him. Barnabas became his advocate, and in some ways his father in the Christian faith. And Barnabas' name is Son of Encouragement. Everybody needs a son of encouragement. Someone who's just never going to give up on you. He's going he's gonna to go to bat for you, right? Barnabas had a huge heart. He, early on in Acts, he sold an entire piece of property he had, brought the money to give it to the church. Huge, huge heart. Got Paul into ministry. In fact, he found Paul when revival was breaking out up north, found him, took him to go to the front lines of ministry. That's Barnabas. Paul needed Barnabas. But Barnabas needed Paul too, and so did the church. Paul leaned heavily on truth. Paul was so devoted to the truth that he was willing to get up in front of all the Gentiles. He mentions this in Galatians. Because Peter and Barnabas too, when some of the Jews came to town, they stopped eating with the Gentiles, which made them feel like total spiritual garbage that they wouldn't even sit with anymore because these somebodies came from Jerusalem. Oh, hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, we're so glad you're here. Don't they smell over there? <laughs> Sin. Barnabas did it too. Because he was afraid of upsetting these people. Paul got up in front of all of them. Said, what the heck are you doing? This is pure sin. Challenged Peter to his face. And they had to repent. That's what a truth guy can do in the church. He confronted sin, the Jewish leaders. This provoked the Jerusalem council and purified the church of gospel compromise. So this was a right thing to do because they were wrong. Now, Mark, John Mark, deserted them on the mission. Paul is right. He's not ready. Barnabas is right. He's my cousin. He needs another chance. Yeah, just not here. So they're both right. Paul is right to hold Mark accountable for his spiritual failure. He turned back. Paul is right to hold him accountable for that and right to say there are consequences to your failure that you have to face. I'm not bringing you out again just to see you step in that same puddle again. You've got to get that straight. He's right to take that course. He deserted us. He's not ready. He's a liability. So, Paul demonstrates strong spiritual leadership and direct accountability, and he becomes the foremost figure of the gospel expansion in the book of Acts right now. Write this down. Barnabas demonstrates gentle spiritual leadership and patient mentoring. And the church needs that, too. Barnabas demonstrates gentle spiritual leadership and patient mentoring. Barnabas disappears in the book of Acts. He doesn't come up again. So this is him fading off the scene. He goes into obscurity. They take a safer road. He takes John Mark on a safer road, not back through where they tried to kill him. And he's now at a slower pace. Safer assignments. He's going to help John Mark through those feelings of rejection and failure, take time to rebuild trust and integrity, to have a track record of showing up and not backing out. Courage, conviction. So we learn here that 
this is the path some people need. John Mark would go on to write a gospel, the book of Mark. Huge potential. Someone had to slow down. Someone had to restore this guy over time. So we see here also that unity in the church doesn't require uniformity of personality. Everyone doesn't need to be a Paul. Everyone doesn't need to be a Barnabas. You need both. You need different personalities and strengths. And you have to understand that they will have their weaknesses and they have to balance each other. We're seeing all that modeled here. We learned that this all worked because in AD 54, when 1 Corinthians was written, Barnabas was mentioned as a current ministry partner of Paul. So they continued being brothers in the work, just on different paths. That was five years after this breakup. Then in AD 60, which is 10 years later, Colossians 4.10, uh, we learn that Paul speaks favorably of Mark, Barnabas' cousin, and says, welcome him. In Philemon 23, Paul will call Mark his fellow worker. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, bring Mark with you because he's useful to my ministry. It's going to work. It's going to work, but they're on two different paths. So write this down. We need both kinds of leaders in the church. We need both kinds of leaders in the church. Paul wouldn't have been Paul without Barnabas. Barnabas would not have been Barnabas without Paul. Now, this might be one of the most important topics we cover all year during this point here, because the church right now has a gigantic major crisis in leadership. We have too many leaders who are not humble, godly, spiritual leaders, leading churches, organizations, and disgracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bad leaders have hurt the church, and our witness to the world. There are several specials out right now about megachurch movements that collapsed because of the sin of the founders. Maybe you've watched some of them. There's also prominent Christians like the Duggars, and there's specials about them and how some people are caught up in Christian cults. And so the church is learning the tremendous, unspeakable, unfathomable pain that bad leaders can bring into the Christian community. And the world is learning just how much sewage has flowed through the church. Because of that, God's people are reluctant to trust leaders. Some of them have given up entirely, stayed home, or taken action to expose and confront sinful spiritual leaders. This is a gigantic deal going on right now. So what is the answer? Well, we see it here in Acts. God will raise up humble spiritual leaders who are strong in going out and defending the faith. We need both. We need leaders like Barnabas who have extra grace, phenomenal shepherds who sit long with people and never give up on them. We must give people second chances, pick them back up when they fall down and fail and empathize with anyone who needs help. The church needs that. Yet Barnabas, his strength also led him into sin. Those high in grace can fall into the trap of people-pleasing. They can try and make everybody happy and go with the flow, go with the crowd, cave to the mob. They can be silent when they should speak up. They can avoid confrontation when it's long overdue. They can have a hard time facing the reality that someone is not there yet or not ready especially when it's someone close to them or a family member. 
So they can fall into sin through their grace. And that's where they need some people stronger in truth to help them say, I know this is going to upset this person. I know that it's not going to be an easy road, but we have to do what is right. We have to do what is right. We need leaders like Barnabas. And we also need leaders like Paul. Paul is extra truth. We need leaders like Paul who cut to the chase, who raise the bar, who warn us directly when we cross the line, who help us see the consequences of our failure and the hard road ahead. We need leaders who don't pamper us. We need leaders who are strong in the truth, who will teach us courage, yet Paul's strength was also his weakness. Originally, he used his gift for love for truth to become an official government person who killed Christians to protect the truth of the Old Testament. Boy, did he go way wrong. He was a murderer. He called himself the chief of sinners. And he needed to be humbled. Barnabas and Paul show us how God transformed these men into strong, humble, spiritual leaders. They model what the church most needs right now. Sacrificial, courageous, bold, humble leaders who hold each other accountable, let each other speak, protect gospel integrity, and build healthy spiritual congregations. The church needs that. 2 Timothy 2.1, I think, reflects the balance. One of Paul's later letters, as he writes to Timothy, here's what he says. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That just about sums up spiritual leadership. Number one, the church must guard the gospel. Number two, God uses both strong and gentle leaders to expand and purify the church. Number three, let the missionary journey begin. We must multiply godly leaders to advance the mission. And this is serving as a preview of the whole second missionary journey. Chapter 16, verse 1, and we're off. It says here, Paul chose Silas, departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. That's where they tried to kill him. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So it sounds here like this is a mixed marriage, which was a no, no. Jewish mom, Greek dad. Likely, she was not as into the Jewish thing, and he was obviously not as into the Greek thing. The, the reading in the Greek seems to read like his father was probably dead. You know, uh, he'd probably passed away, not a Christian, but probably wasn't even in his life anymore. So you likely have Timothy raised by his single Jewish mom, and his grandma was a Christian as well, we find out elsewhere. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for all knew that his father was a Greek. Hello, Timothy, we are going on a missionary journey. There just needs to be one small surgical procedure. Now, let's just face the reality there that that is quite a sacrifice for the mission. But also, it raises some questions like, first of all, why was Timothy not circumcised if he was part Jewish? Probably because his mom wasn't all that devoted. Second, how come they just fought this whole thing in the first Jerusalem council and said, no, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. We're going to go and tell them all they don't need to be circumcised. And now Timothy has to be. Is that contradictory? No, it is not. It's not. Because Timothy was Jewish. So it was still an expression of lack of obedience as a Jewish person to not be circumcised. And it also was absolutely a direct affront to those you're going to go try and tell about Jesus. Because you 
you are, in effect, rejecting the covenant of God that was handed to you through Moses. So, this is the same principle. Uh, the same principle is, this is the right thing to do for Timothy as a Jew who's going to go reach Jews for the gospel. This is the right thing to expect him to do as a Jewish man. It was wrong to expect the Gentiles to do that. Um, so, it's consistent. It's not contradictory because Timothy is Jewish. All right, so he did it. And then it says in verse 4, they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Check it out. Here's a map of the second missionary journey. This is where they went. They started down there in Jerusalem. They headed uh, up all around Antioch and uh, went through Tarsus. That's Paul's hometown. Then Derby, Iconium. And then we're going to get next week into Europe. They're, they're going through Asia, and then boom, they're going to land in Europe, around Greece, and they're going to hit all these churches, Thessalonica, Berea. They're going to go to Philippi. They're going to circle back down to Corinth and Athens. It's going to be an amazing trip. That's what's coming. But how did it happen? They multiplied godly leaders. That's how they advanced the mission. Barnabas grabbed Paul, raised him up. Now he's on his own thing. Paul's now grabbing Silas and Timothy, raising them up, and these are now the three amigos. These are now the three that are mentioned in most of Paul's letters. Paul, Timothy, and Silas. In Philipp uh, Philippians 2.22, Paul says this. We'll put it on the screen. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. We're meeting the cast here of the second missionary journey, so jot this down. Timothy. What does Timothy teach us? We must raise up the next generation of leaders. We must raise up the next generation of leaders. We learn in 1 Timothy 1.18, Hebrews 13, that there was a prophecy spoken about Timothy's future in ministry. That's pretty awesome. He would, unlike John Mark, be faithful from the start and not turn back. He would go to prison for his faith eventually and be released, Hebrews mentions. Timothy is mentioned in 10 letters of Paul. He was a Samaritan, a half-Jew, which could be trouble on the road, which is why they circumcised him. And when it comes to his missionary efforts, he is a third-generation Christian. It says his grandma and his mom, Lois and Eunice, right, were both Christians. Timothy learned about Jesus on their lap, you know? So he is like one of the first people in the Bible who heard about Jesus his whole life. How cool is that? And Paul saw tremendous potential in him. This is really cool that this entire Christian household, grandma to mom to Timothy, is acknowledged in Scripture and celebrated. Right? Grandma Lois, can we just take a moment and praise God for Christian grandmas? Raise your hand if you're a Christian grandma in the room. Raise your hand if you're a Christian grandma. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. And is your family a little troubled? I mean, mixed marriage? Dad's gone. Just me and my daughter and my grandson. Timothy became a giant of the faith. Look what God did through him. Does that give you hope? God can do awesome things in your family. Christian grandmas can make it happen. Praise God for Christian moms. Probably a single mom here. 
I don't know all the details, but she released her little boy. You're going where? Well, is it going to be safe? No. Have bad things happened already? Yeah. Can you promise me he's coming back? No. No. Praise God for Timothy's mom. She's not the helicopter. <laughs> not my baby! Here he is, Lord. He's all yours. The sooner you start that in your heart, in your home, the better things will go. Wow, we must raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Kids' ministry is so vital. I love that in Awana, they have kind of immortalized Timothy, right? There's the Timothy Award. Raise your hand if you got the Timothy Award growing up. Did anybody get the Timothy Award? The Timothy Award. It's like one of the best awards you can get. I didn't go to church growing up, so that's my excuse. I don't know what your excuse is. Timothy represents a young man, teenager, saying yes to do great things for the gospel. Do you know that in our kids' ministry, we got all the adults outside, right? They wrapped you in a ribbon, and we told you, you're going to raise up, you know, your hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me, Isaiah 6, 8. Do you know we did this with our kids, too? We got them out there. We told them God wants to use them to go and make disciples forever. They got their little ribbons, too. We are sending them. Here's a picture of our decision point ministry that we support. They do outreaches in all the local high schools. They raise up teenagers to bring the gospel into their high schools. And this is a picture of some of their rallies they've done, some of their training events they've done. They had a training event. Uh, we had a training event here in our church with some of them as well to, to teach teenagers how to share their faith with other people. Timothy shows us we have to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Paul's heart for Timothy gave us 1st and 2nd Timothy, some of the finest mentoring manuals in the Bible. And look who God used. I'm too young. Uh-uh. Say, here I am. Send me. All right, now, finally, let's talk about Silas. Silas, he's a veteran. He's a leader. He comes from Jerusalem. He's known. He's trusted. And Paul's like, let's go. He's going to go far from home now. Not that home was that safe. They're going to go to jail together. He knows his peril because the first missionary journey already happened. And he says, yes, what a champion of stepping out, of getting out of the comfort zone, stepping up and saying, I'm ready for more. They're going to be very quickly stripped, beaten together by rods, thrown in jail. There's going to be an earthquake. It's going to be so hard and dangerous. And Silas says, let's go. Hey, maybe you're a veteran in the faith. You're not like a Timothy. You've been through a lot. And maybe you feel like it's time to take it easy for a little while. Silas is calling you out. Surrender your comfort. Maybe some of you right now are feeling called to leave behind whatever it is that you find your security in and to go all in on some form of ministry for the gospel. Silas shows us that road. God is prompting you to surrender whether you stay or you go. But some are called to the front lines of the faith. Maybe that's you. Are you ready to make a greater sacrifice for gospel work? Here they are, the three amigos, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, off to invade Europe with the gospel for the first time. 
So it's appropriate for me to close by mentioning that it was D-Day last week, right? D-Day last week. Invasion of Europe. And I've got some pictures here when it comes to D-Day. Here is the invasion of Europe to free it from the Axis forces and, and bringing military might and artillery in to liberate the continent. It's really cool. Great sacrifice. Here's the next picture. Great sacrifices made for this invasion and this liberation. This was the Omaha Beach Cemetery. Omaha Beach Cemetery. They laid down their lives to bring freedom on earth. Well, let me close by saying this. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Barnabas, John Mark, they laid it all on the line. They went. This is the invasion of Europe here. This is their D-Day. And they brought more artillery than anything anyone's ever seen on earth. They brought the Word of God, the Spirit of God. We must follow their example, go like they did, demonstrate their courage, their sacrifice, their gentleness, their resolve, their humility, their godly leadership, multiplying leaders along the way, and God will use you, and he will use me, and the world will never be the same. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the unfolding of the gospel story in the book of Acts. I'm grateful that the early church guarded the gospel. What a disaster it would have been if they had gone out with two gospels or they had polluted it. I'm thankful for the strong and gentle leaders that you raised up early on, that you expanded the church and purified the church through them. Thank you for Paul, who excelled in truth. Thank you for Barnabas, who showed us the way of grace. Oh Lord, raise up both kinds of leaders in our day that the church might be strengthened and purified. Lord, we pray that you would multiply godly leaders to advance the mission. Give us those Timothys. Raise up the next generation who won't be afraid by intimidation from the culture. Raise up those Timothys who will say yes to risk surrendering their lives that others might go free by the truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those Silas-like veterans, Lord, who are a little nervous about getting too far from home, challenge them. Challenge them to step up like never before that the gospel might reach to the ends of the earth. Lord, anyone here today who has never received Jesus as Savior and Lord, may they see they can be a small part of the biggest thing that's happening on earth and in heaven. And we learned last week it's a simple as believing in Jesus. May they believe that Jesus died for their sins, rose again, and rules heaven. May they say it now in their own heart, I believe, here I am, send me. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.